What's up, crew? Welcome to another Clover Tack podcast. It is March 30th, 2022. Been on a hiatus for a few weeks. Had uh, basically a six-day trip. Uh, went through Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and uh, ended up in South Carolina. Did a uh, couple of events. Had the shoot showcase there in Talladega and then in Clinton, South Carolina. Had, uh, of course, the gathering. And somewhere along the way, was able to stop in and talk to our guest today, of course, the uh, the Rob Squareds from uh, Lionheart. And we're going to talk about uh, that stuff here in just a minute before we get to that. Uh, as always, big thank you to the Patreon patrons, the YouTube channel members, uh, those at Super Chat, Super Thanks, shop in the store over at clovertech.com slash shop. We appreciate it. Uh, and... Uh, if you're listening to this not too far into the future, remember that this weekend, um, the 2nd and 3rd of April, 2022, uh, largest gun show in the world happens every April, every November in the big city of Tulsa, Oklahoma. The Wanamaker Tulsa Arms Show will we'll, we'll be there covering media as normal. Got some cool things uh, that hopefully will come out of that show. My camera since I've been on a two-week break, wants to act a little weird, it seems. But we'll get through this. It's more about those folks in the audio world. And for those in the audio world, thanks for uh, jumping in and, and listening to this. Remember that you can participate live. And if you are out there live, as we move along, if you've got questions uh, for either of the Robs, throw them out there in the chat. Questions about Lionheart, the Regulus, all of that good stuff. Uh, and we'll get to them real quick. Uh, we've got Guy Nail out there with a 9.99 super chat thanks for that uh, guy appreciate you very much uh, great way to start the show with that out of the way though i want to blow the eight too terribly long get uh, rob squared into the uh, chat we've got rob c uh, directly across from me and then down in the hot seat rob uh, f how are you guys doing good great how are you doing Nice. Uh, doing well, doing well. It's great to, to have you guys on and get to talk to you. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, the uh, Rob's here jumped into, and there he is out there, as a matter of fact, uh, Ghost Tactical, uh, jumped into that here oh, a few weeks back or so. So uh, I'm sure we'll rehash rehash some of what was talked about on that podcast and uh, hopefully more. Uh, like I said, I was blessed to be able to come by and see the operation. Uh, and so now when uh, Rob down below, Rob F talks about all the machinery and the tech and the crazy whatnots and gizmos and doodads, I actually know what he's talking about. So I got a, <laughs> uh, I got a leg up on that. Um, so I guess you guys want to start out and kind of talk about the, the company history. I, I find it interesting. So I guess we'll give the floor to Rob F. Uh, take it away with how did we get from a, Handgun made in South Korea. I'm sure you'll cover that. And then all of a sudden, Lionheart started and you're involved. And how did all of that come about? And uh, what's the story? It's a great question. So um, I was not the and am not the original founder of Lionheart. That uh, that title goes to DJ McLean. And DJ uh, had a unique situation where he had um, access to the M1 Garands from the Korean War that were that are, are in Korea. And there are something I want to say, don't quote me on this, like a hundred thousand and ones in all various conditions still located in a giant armory in Korea, South Korea. So they, 
they basically want to get them back to America. I think they're tired of storing them and they want to give them back to the hands of the people who, who brought them there. Uh, and there's all kinds of other war artifacts that are left over there, like tanks and, and you, you name it. Everything you can imagine is there because it's just cheaper to leave it there, just like we did right. in Afghanistan. So anyway, uh, he flew over there with some, he had some contacts. He flew over there to, to survey the inventory and basically learned that it's a pretty involved process. Uh, you have to get permission from the State Department and the, the president is actually involved as far as I understand it. Um, so that wasn't going to happen quickly. And he's working on that. The current, uh, the current, who was the president? Uh, I think it was, this is during Trump and Trump. You know, hasn't been very Second Amendment friendly, and and they were um, not confident that they can get it through. So they just wanted to see what would happen. I think they may have tried, but long story short, um, the South Korean Armory uh, SMT Motive said, "Hey, while you can't have you know all these uh, historic weapons now, we have our essentially our DP fifty one, which is the civilian version of the K five. Um, which in America, our version is the LH9. We have that pistol that's pretty much ready to go. Um, the design is ready to go. It's been it's been around for thirty something years. At the time, it was thirty something years. Um, and so, yeah, that that's how Lionheart was formed. DJ said that's phenomenal. He shot the pistol. He loved the pistol. He thought that um, there was a lot of demand for that pistol in the USA from from veterans of the Korean war who, who had one and had no parts for it or wanted one and never could get one or heard about, you know, all kinds of things. So that's how it started. And they, they imported the pistol. Um, what they learned during the importation process is that uh, Koreans QC isn't quite as good as American QC. Right. So everything that they ever sold was, was perfect. Well, as, as perfect as they could get. Um, it was excellent quality, but many of the pistols that arrived to Lionheart headquarters were not good. So Lionheart Old, we call it Lionheart Old. It's the Lionheart entity, the original Lionheart entity formed in Washington. We're now the new Lionheart entity formed in Georgia. Anyway, Lionheart Old um, would have to rework some pistols. And there was a lot of um, a lot of that happening. That's where we're on the Regulus now. So the Regulus is almost an exact copy of the LH9 with some minor improvements that wouldn't affect backwards compatibility. Gotcha. Now, was it... Isn't it crazy that you can't bring in United States manufactured long guns that were left in Korea? You can't bring those back into the United States, but you can bring in a totally new handgun built by Koreans into the United States. How how exactly does that work, right? Yeah, that, DJ that's can, crazy. He can tell you more on that. <laughs> right. I think it had to do because they were artifacts of the war. Yeah, I'm sure. Time. I'm sure there's some red tape somewhere. I'm sure. Well, lots of it. Yep. So you got the. Um, so how did that work? I mean, did you? Because there was a rebrand at some point, correct? Um, no, I mean when when DJ uh, he basically founded Lionheart. You know, he he had access to these pistols and he liked them. He said, "Hey, this is a cool thing. Let's mm-hmm. do this." And then he created, uh, as, you know, this is as, as far as I know it. Uh, DJ would speak better to this, but he created the name Lionheart Industries, created the okay. brand, and he's a brand guy. He's he's superb at branding and ideas. I mean, he's he's very very good at that. So it was just the model change then, changing over to the Regulus. Yeah, it was yeah. updating the LH nine. Um, so you know there was a, there was a lot of demand for that pistol, uh, but you know it once there were some obvious things that needed to be done to it to, to sort of bring it to the American market and, and things like um, 
you know, uh, the Picatinny rail and the dust cover and things like that, uh, new grips, uh, updating that pistol. So the, we saw a lot of demand originally for, for the original pistol uh, for collectors and people that really wanted the legacy pistol that want the LH9. But that, you know, is, isn't where we saw the, the, we, that wasn't really where we saw this pistol heading um, for uh, a commercial success. And we, we saw that pistol becoming much more popular uh, with, you know, new features and updates to it that would bring it into the 21st century. Now, what is, how long has the process been from taking the original and working out all the kinks while at the same time making sure things, and I'm, I'm sure that's a real pain in the neck, right? Making sure things are backwards compatible while you're trying to tweak things moving forward. How tedious, how long of a process has that been? Uh, it's years. <laughs> it's years. So I want to go back real quick. The biggest difference between the LH9 and the Regulus is the LH9 has a stack and a half magazine. The Regulus has a double stack based loosely on the M9 Beretta magazine. So the M9, we use the M9 tube, mag tubes, uh, different follower, different. Um, I think it has, it has the same spring, uh, different base plate. Uh, so, but it's the same tube. Uh, the mag catch heights different. So you can't, they're not interchangeable, but um, rather than create all new tooling, um, Metgar, who we use, who's a phenomenal supplier of magazines, uh, they already had that and we were allowed uh, free to use it. In other words, it wasn't under license by anybody else. Yeah. Um, but to get back to that, there, there's a whole lot of work, more than you can ever imagine. I think the number put on it to develop the Regulus in America was uh, close to $5 million. Um, and that was, that was paid by the old Lionheart team, essentially. So um, there's a lot of things that go into this this pistol that, that most people don't even consider. Um, for example, all the fire group components, uh, and, and I was going to hit on this later, but I'll, I'll hit it now if it's relevant, like the safety, the hammer, the trigger, the sear, the trigger bar, um, the extractor, all those little parts are highly complex. They have a lot of different facets and surfaces, um, some organic and, and some orthogonal to each other. Uh, they're difficult to machine. So if you were to machine that, you'd have a very expensive pistol, a lot like a Wilson Combat or Nighthawk, because most mm -hmm. of those parts are machined. Um, the way they did it in South Korea is they, uh, they were either investment casting them or forging them. Uh, I think it varied depending on the part, but they were definitely not miming them. So the American standard for firearms is to mim them. That's the way SIG makes a lot of their parts. Um, or, or used to, that's the way they make them on their hammer fired part. Now uh, to interrupt you real quick on MIM for those out there that might not understand what you're talking about. Can you explain that real quick? Yeah. So MIM is, is pretty easy metal injection molding. So the injection, I'll just really quickly summarize the, the molding process in general, regardless of using metal or plastic, um, you're using pellets. So it starts as pellets. It goes into a big screw, which gets forced into a mold, the shape of the product you want under high pressure and high heat, regardless of it's plastic or metal. Um, and that creates its shape. The mold opens and the part, it like splits in half. The part drops out of the center and you have your, your part. If it's plastic, you're done. You're ready to go. That's why, that's why plastic firearms are so cheap because it, they're, they're really easy to make a, a firearm, a polymer lower is about $5 to make versus our aluminum lower is well over a hundred dollars. Well, well over a hundred dollars to make. So, but with a MIM part, like a trigger hammer safety, that metal part that just dropped out is essentially metal powder with a binder in it. So then it has to go into debinding, which is a, a chemical process, which so you remove that binder. And then from there it goes into sintering, which is just a, just a big hot oven. Right. And it's right. not melting 
the particles together, it's it's fusing them together. Uh, so the the strength there is near what a billet would be or solid solid metal would be, but at a at a much lower cost. Um, and you can actually get more complexity out of it than you would say um, some other processes. If you were to machine the same part, uh, the part would probably cost uh, just a, a just a uh, an estimate five to eight times as much. So wow. For example, the machine R trigger bar, it would be so exorbitantly expensive, nobody would ever do it, right? Which is why most trigger bars have gone away from like a MIM, even a MIM or machine process, and they're going into stamping. Stamping is even cheaper than MIMing, um, and stamping can produce some some decent quality results, uh, but they're limited in, in design. So MIMing, you can do more complex designs, but it tends to be medium price, medium complexity, Whereas stamping is simpler parts, but they're very, very low cost. So gotcha. hopefully that explains it. Yeah, thanks for that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, back to you were talking about the MIM parts, uh, you know, the, some of the differences and the process and yeah. taking it through. So all those MIM parts, we had uh, essentially reverse engineer them because South Korea didn't just hand over a drawing pack. So we have to reverse engineer them and then make molds. Um, there's about, uh, I think, a half million dollars and uh, somewhere between 300 and a half million dollars in molds just for wow. the mint parts. Yep. And then you got to mold them all and then test them. So you've got to make the molds and test the parts and then, uh, sorry, make the molds, mold the parts, get the parts. We call them, we call them um, T1 samples. It's your first round samples. Mm -hmm. You get them, you measure them, you tell the vendor what's wrong. We don't, we don't mim in house. It's an extremely expensive time consuming process and we're just not big enough um yet to mim sure. house that's sure. done house by a very well-known mim mim house um so that's just the fire group components then you've got the barrel you've got the slide you've got the frame which i call like the primary components and those are the most complex uh, in firearms one of the interesting things is uh, two things it requires a whole lot of custom tooling a whole lot of custom fixturing and work holding meaning how you hold that part it's all custom you can't just buy off-the-shelf vices like a lot of other parts you don't have the room um, and you can't buy off-the-shelf tooling. Again, you have weird shapes like the rails. Um, need, they, they all need custom tooling, and every one of those tools um, is custom gone for us, and it's expensive. So everyone has right. a print, everyone has a part number, um, and then it requires very expensive machinery to do it as well. So all those drawings had to be created for not only the fire group components, but for the, the primary components. And when you get so when you're reverse, reverse engineering, it's not as easy as it sounds. If you have a part and take a pair of calipers uh like these take a pair of calipers and you measure the part right let's say you measure the part and it's one inch cool all right well that one inch part goes into another one inch part well one inch part won't fit into one inch part so the manufacturer has some tolerance bands right they say this part needs to be from 990 to 995 is the inner part and then the outer part needs to be from one inch to say one inch five thousandths of an inch and that's right. what we call tolerance it's the range uh, the size is allowed to be when you reverse engineer your part, you have no idea what the tolerance is, what they started out right. as and where in that tolerance band you are. So if the tolerance band is say 10,000 of an inch wide, that, that product could have been made at the top side or the bottom side or the middle. And you don't know where you're measuring it. Nobody told you, Hey, this gun was made all on high side tolerances, which is almost impossible because they're going to be all over the place. But right. uh, that is the hardest part about reverse engineering because you have a, a drawing and then you've got to go back and do, uh, essentially, you got to do your own engineering. you got to do your own, it's called a tolerance stack analysis. You're looking at how all the parts interface to each other. Um, 
So that's what we've done. So that's new Lionheart. So old Lionheart got as far as having a drawing with Prince and intolerances. Um, and then the new Lionheart went and uh, basically went and did all the tolerance stack analysis. And we spent the last 15 months doing tolerance stack analysis, um, finishing the machining of the parts, uh, coming up with new coatings, uh, new grips, um, all kinds of stuff. We had to buy all the machines. We had to rig all the machines in. First, you have to select the machines. You got to find what machine works best. Buy all the tooling, buy all the work holding. Um, there's millions invested just by new Lionheart. Um, so, yeah, this uh, starting a firearms company, much uh, a pistol firearms company, is extremely expensive and extremely. <laughs> right. Well, it sounds like it sounds like a lot of what you've been through, though, is kind of it has been kind of right up your alley, right? Yeah, I mean, like, so my forte is manufacturing. I really like building stuff. That is, I like building really nice stuff. I like building stuff that is not only nice, but it's innovative, where, where I can hand you something that, that I just designed, and you can be like, damn, that I've never seen anything like that. That is cool shit. I really am like to um, show somebody something that they've never seen before, show them something that they've always wanted that they never knew they wanted, right? Right, yeah. Um, and that's where, that's my background as far as, my other company is Exotech, which is what you see behind me. Those are all the survival um, products. And those those photos are are uh, circa 2011, maybe 2012. So long before firearms, I ever thought I'd own a firearms company, but obviously there's firearms in them. Um, so that's that was the premise of that company, designing products that would last a lifetime and something you really, really wanted, but, but really never knew you needed. Um, and that's the same thing we tend to do with uh, or we plan to do with with lionheart we're in process of i guess you could say right and uh rob c you were going to jump in jump in here oh no i was just gonna when rob was talking about the timeline and and all the money that we've invested in, in getting the company going um it was i was just thinking back to some of our initial conversations rob if you remember um when i first started and we were very very excited about getting that pistol getting a whole you know, our new pistol out in what was it? Three months. I think I want to say it was four months, yeah. something like that. And there was, uh, there was a lot of talking off the ledge and, and let's, let's try to, you know, let's try to make sure that we get this thing right out of the gate. And, and, you know, I've seen a lot of pistols, a lot of products launch and they, they weren't quite ready for prime time yet. And, uh, you well, know, why don't you tell Tell people a little bit about who you are, because uh, some people here don't know who you are and your background. Oh really yeah, so, yeah. I, I worked for uh, I worked for the Military Times for 17 years as a combat correspondent and a photojournalist, and then I, I went over to Recoil in about uh, 2014, 2015 timeframe, and became the executive editor of Recoil uh, before joining Lionheart. And uh, so that that was my job was basically to just look at pistols and, and firearms and everything in the firearm. Uh, industry and poo-poo it as best as I could uh, to make sure that, that right. the products that people were getting out uh, were held to, you know, the companies were held to, ta were, were held to the, the high standards they could be uh, to make sure that customers got what they wanted. And so, you know, coming from that background, I think Rob can probably attest to how picky I can be about things um, and how, you know, how tight I want our, our firearms to be um, and how, you know, the reliability, uh, I had a very good idea of, you know, the, the most important things uh, when people are looking for a pistol, you know, everybody loves to, everybody loves a cool looking pistol. Everybody, um, 
you know, has their own idea of what it should look like. But at the end of the day, the thing has to go off. It has to be tough as nails. Um, it has to be incredibly reliable. So that was one of the first things that I did um, was said, you know, we need to have pistols that will run 20,000 rounds, you know, without, without fail. Uh -huh. um, and I think, yeah, Rob being new to the firearms community or not to the community, but to, to the firearms industry, industry. when I started, we need to buy about, uh, you know, 20, 40,000 rounds of ammo. <laughs> so we can, so we can start testing what we've got. And I think his head just sort of exploded because this was, you got to remember when we were doing this, this was at the height. I think, how much was that ammo, Rob? That, that nine mil that we got. It was started at 70 cents when you said <laughs> that and it went up to 90, I think. Oh, 90. Yeah, it was, wow. it was ridiculous, but you know, I, I said, we need to do it. And you know, we're still using that ammo today. Um, when we test fire guns before they go out, every gun that we, sh that we sent out, um, you know, I I've been, I've been to factories. I've been to, you know, several other uh, major, major firearm factories and watched their test firing processes, their QC checks and all that stuff. And I said, whatever we do, we're, it's going to be better and it's going to be more stringent. Um, mm. So when we, when we put guns out, we put 20 rounds through every gun that goes uh, through two magazines. So none of this three rounds, you know, and it works, put it in the box and let it go out. No, like it's got to go. All of our guns get, go through a function check. Uh, I think it's a five or seven step function check before they get to the range. And then the range test is 20 rounds. Um, and we right. fail guns at the range because uh, I, I do not want to send guns out. I, I won't send guns out that aren't going to go be as reliable as they should be, which right. is, you know, they should yeah. all go off <laughs> yeah i mean that's your that's your name that's your branding and ultimately yeah. your your livelihood wes out there he says he's got some exotech gear it's great stuff so got a fan out there Thanks, um, wes. yeah i mean i can speak from just stopping by and uh and rob down there showing me you know showing me around from the exotech side as well as as the lionheart side he showed me the qc area and the good lord the machine i don't even know what that thing was it, it blew my mind it had rubies in it and some other crazy <laughs> stuff going on but um you can tell by uh rob's passion just walking through and, and giving me the tour of that factory and then the the quality of the machinery and everything being used from the production side to to the qc side of things that uh you know you guys are on point with making sure that you know, whatever comes out of that, that factory, be it Exotax side or, or Lionheart is the best it can be. And so that's, yeah. that's really cool. That, um, that, was, that was one of the things that when I, you know, I, I met Rob years ago uh, through Exotac. And when he told me that he was going to be starting up a, a firearms company, like the stuff that they make on the Exotac side is the only word I can think of it is bespoke. You know, when it's really, really nicely manufactured, there's no, I mean, nothing, yeah. There's there there's no peer to any of those products out on the market right now. So when he told me that he was starting a firearms company, I was like, okay, this is gonna go well. This is gonna go really really well. And I was well, really you didn't, you didn't warn me first. You said uh, it's a extremely tough business, uh, mm -hmm. and a lot of people have failed before you. Is what you told me. Well, yeah. you were you were telling me, Rob. I think when I come by talking about your armorer uh there mm -hmm. yeah. and you were talking about i think about how he was excited when he first started because he was going to be putting all these rounds down range testing these handguns and you told him <laughs> uh you're gonna hate it by the time it's said and done right oh yeah andy yeah. loves me 
<laughs> my background, you know, I worked for uh, Mega Training Systems, which recently got bought. Uh, they've been rebranded. When I worked there was Fats Firearms Training Systems, and I got bought by Mega Global Conglomerate. It became Mega Training Systems, and now they just got bought again. Now it's in Varus, whatever. I don't even know. But we would take uh, we take any weapon you wanted, and we did a lot of M16s. I did an SA80 UGL was my project, so uh, it's an SA80 with an underslung grenade launcher. Um, but anyway, I won't go into that too much detail, but I was around simulated firearms. They, they're live weapons with serial numbers and everything that got converted into, into um, simulators. But oftentimes, you know, when I'm being the engineer, uh, I'm on the electrical side, I would develop uh, the, all the new um, hardware and firmware that went into the firearm and hand it to the qual lab. And our, our quality measure was 100,000 rounds. It had to pass. They had to pull that trigger 100,000 times. And I can't tell you how many times a firearm would go there and they'd get 30 or 40,000 rounds downrange and it'd fail. It goes back to engineering. I had one, the SA80 UGL came back to me, I think, three times. Uh, one of the sensors kept failing due to the, later learned it was due to the shock of uh, recoil. We had to simulate 60% of, of real world recoil using, we used an air cylinder inside the, the chain, uh, inside the, um, the bolt area. We pulled the bolt out anyway. Um, that was the mil, mil spec. Essentially, when we were selling to the to the uh, military, they wanted sixty percent recoil. Um, that recoil, that impact with the buffer, it was it's it's a shock. I mean, it it feels almost real. It was damaging the sensors. So finally, I found the problem using some pretty in depth analysis and swapped out that sensor. But that's a perfect example of where. <laughs> Yeah, the mark is, say, 20,000 rounds, but how many times are you going to get to 8, 9, 10, 15,000 rounds and then fail it and then start all over again, which means right. that you need, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say on a new pistol platform any less than 100,000 rounds to yeah. a gun. You'd be surprised how many people in the industry, um, when a gun comes out, you know, they th there's, a, there's a pretty big sentiment that people don't even shoot their guns. Um, and so why bother, you know, making parts that are going to last five, even 5,000 rounds or something like that. Right. Like, yes. So yeah, we, no matter, I, I assume every pistol that's going to go out is going to be shot until it, until it turns to dust. Right. Um, and yeah, I don't, you know, I don't dispute that the vast majority of firearms don't get shot a lot. That's, that's, I don't know the that's data. That's, that's probably true, but mm -hmm. to use that as an excuse, I think mm -hmm. is, is, is sad for a company at the end of the day. Yep. Yeah, so we don't everything that we that we design and manufacture isn't isn't made to a specific tolerance or or to a specific um, round count, I should say. It's it's meant to last, you know, as long as you as long as you own it. Uh, right, and know. that goes into the slogan, which is what combat ready heirloom quality or something. You got it. Yeah, along uh, that line, quality, which is pretty cool. Ready. Yeah, yeah. Heirloom quality combat heirloom quality combat ready. I got them backwards, I guess, but yeah. Uh, you got it, man. And that's that that was that is the most important thing for us because the the guns people are you know you can't make something that costs a thousand dollars and then and then you know not make it beautiful, right? Um, people people want their guns uh, to be you know something that they can admire. Uh, and but at the end of the day, for us, the most important part of that statement is combat ready, where every every firearm you know that we put out is ready to do its job in the in the most you know, in the gravest extreme. Right. Yeah. Now, as far as the, the regular shifting gears a little bit and getting into the, the handgun itself, uh, where are you guys at on that 
currently with, uh, let's just say, production? So we still have some of what we call the the old, the new old stock. That was, yeah, the rent, uh, rent and guns that were made by the old Lionheart. But they weren't made. They were parts that we got from old Lionheart that we rem- had to, uh, <laughs> that we took care of uh, and remanufactured in, into, okay. uh, into our current stock. And yeah. those those have the upgraded internals you were talking about earlier, right. Bob? Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. So the uh, some of the parts were done. Um, some of the parts were not done. Some of the parts uh, didn't meet our standards. So we went back. That's what we spent the last 15 months doing. I mean, we've shot tens of thousands of rounds downrange. Nice. We went back through testing on our own because somebody can hand you a sheet that says, hey, yes, I've tested this firearm. But I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a, ver- a trust but verify kind of guy. So we, we, we were verifying and found some things we weren't we weren't super happy with. Uh, the firearm performed really well with ball ammo, but defensive ammo. Um, there were a couple ra- a couple of brands it, it didn't like, and so we went all the way back through testing. We redeveloped uh, the recoil spring assembly. We, we redeveloped the extractor assembly, extractor spring. Um, we didn't like the firing pin. It didn't. It wasn't standard. Um, it used a little different shape. Didn't like the material. I also didn't like the temper of the firing pin. So I shit canned all the old firing pins. Remade all new firing pins um, out of seventeen four, which is a really high end grade of stainless steel. Um, we made new grips. They were selling. So this gun was originally priced at eighteen hundred dollars, and it came with polymer. <laughs> I don't even have them in my office because they're so hideous. But it came with polymer yeah. grips which are there's plastic grips um, right and it wasn't a great design I, i'm you'll find with me i really don't like pro- plastic products uh, i i really don't it's just not i mean there it's a, a plastic product to me is it's a vacuum cleaner it's just a tool to get the job done right mm-hmm. if you think of a firearm as only a tool then by all means buy a polymer firearm and, and there's a lot of great ones out there but for me, um, like a nice watch, I, I'm not just going to buy a watch that tells time. I want something that I can, you know, that I can be proud of. And, you know, you're, you're, you're making it a part of you. And so um, we wanted a nicer grip. So we came with the G10 grips from the factory, new design, new material. We machine those all in-house. Um, so there were a little bit of things that had to be done. So that all that work has been done, right? We still have some in stock, but now we're ramping up the Georgia manufacturer of the firearm. Um, right. It's the same gun. It's it's essentially the same gun. There may be some just some subtle little changes here and there um, that we want to improve on. Because it, here's my thing: is um, I'm of the belief if you're not going to do it the best you can do it, then why fucking bother at all, right? So when you're making, when we're manufacturing these here in, in our facility, right here in this building, um, we're going through the whole process all over again. We might as well make any kind of changes that we see fit without drastically impacting the function of the weapon because we don't really want to have to go back through uh, testing and testing and testing. Don't get me wrong. These will all be tested like they're a new gun, but we don't have to go through iterative testing again. I don't want to have to shoot 100,000 rounds to prove out an entirely new design. So the changes we make are going to be relatively or or substantially subtle. Um, And currently the barrel, uh, I've got a barrel right here. So this is a barrel we made on our new lathe. It's it's. It's complete. Although I was going to ask how that process was going. That's <laughs> something unique. I think you guys are doing. So yeah, yeah. So this is not dimensionally correct, um, but to the viewer, I mean, they could never tell. Um, <laughs> and some of the surface finishes are not to, to standard. But um, so Lionheart Old, the original Lionheart, actually pioneered. And I hate to say that because I hate claiming to be the first. That's not that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to make great, just great products. I don't give a right. shit who's the first to do something, but. Um, I, I think it's relevant because it's actually kind of cool. 
uh, Lionheart original, uh, Lionheart Old was the first one to rifle a barrel in the same machine that, that makes all the other parts. So most manufacturers, if not all manufacturers, and I know this because the same guys who I bought my machine from and set up my machines also set up machines for all the big guys, right? Right. Ruger, uh, Remington, uh, Smith & Wesson. Like, I, I know about all the factories. I've been told, you know, you just you're told things here and there and I, and I sure. don't need trade secrets. I, I don't ask those questions because I don't want people to share mine either. <laughs> right. But what you learn is that they turn the lathe, you know, they turn, the, I'm sorry, they turn the, the barrel on a lathe. So they make the round part. And then the, this, all this machining back here, all, all the lock area is done in another machine. So uh, let me start over. They buy pre-rifled stock. So that right. whole, that hole you see with all the rifling in there, that's already done already. So it's a big thick bar with a hole through it and it's been rifled. It's been pr probably a uh, hammer forged. And then they load that in their lathe and they turn this, they'll turn up the lockup grooves, which most people don't have anymore, but we have them. Uh, and then they'll turn back here. They're gonna they're gonna chamber the back of it. And, and that's really it. Then they're gonna take it out of the lathe and they're gonna put it to a mill, which is gonna machine out all, you know, the lock area, there's gonna machine sure. the barrel shroud and all that stuff. So you've got, now you've got three machines involved. Um, and that's that's about it. They might send it off to deburr some mechanical deburring process like a rock tumbler, uh -huh. um, but really it's 2022 and um, just like Exotech, the best, my opinion, right? Uh, the best way to make a product is to do as many of the operations as you can at once in this in a single machine. You want to avoid anybody handling that part um, between operations for a number of reasons. Um, Human error is the biggest, right? Um, you're, you're relying on, on humans to properly load the part. Um, you're also relying on humans for speed, and things happen. You can you can get a uh, a piece of the metal, like a chip. We call them chips. The stuff that comes off the metal when we machine it, clamp in in with the part, and it'll make a big ding in the part. We we could get all the way to the end and clamp a chip, and we'll scrap a two hundred dollar barrel. So the process that we pioneered is um, we're doing it all in one. So we load, we have 12 foot long uh, bars of pre-hardened 416 stainless steel. Uh, we turn it, we rifle it, we, well, sorry, we turn it, we drill it, we ream it, we rifle it, um, and then we machine it all in the same machine. And this is a very big, very expensive machine, as you saw. It is, um, yes. Extremely expensive tooling. <laughs> uh, but the beautiful thing is you load bars in and you get finished barrels out. And I'm making that sound way simpler than it actually is. I spent weeks getting this out and it's not even correct. So, um, you know, we spend lots of time, lots of money investing into it. And then once you get the process dialed in, then you're constantly monitoring the process, replacing worn tools um, and watching for problems where wear, wear and tear on the machine. It all happens. It's going to happen. You have to plan for it. You have to just watch for it. So, um, so essentially, that all that comes back to uh, we're rifling the the barrels in the machine. That's kind of our our claim to fame, and um, you will see other people making that claim. I don't want to name any names because I, I don't really know. Um, I don't know for certain like who was first, and I don't want to. I really don't want to claim anything mm. regards to who was first. But right. um, I think the ones who are claiming that they did they're they're doing the rifling now in the machine are the same ones who were contract manufacturing to make our barrels back at old Lionheart. So old Lionheart didn't make them in house. They were made by a, uh, another manufacturer. Mm -hmm. um, so even, even cooler than that though, is not only are we rifling them in the machine, but 
uh, we're doing it. New Lionheart uh, is doing it with a brand new tool that nobody's ever seen before. So it's a super top secret tool made by a really high end tool maker based out of Germany. Um, the tool is simpler than you'd imagine. Uh, it's kind of one of those things like, why the hell didn't I think of that? Like, <laughs> why has it taken us this long to get there? But um, we just did a runoff on it last week. I have a tool rep here in person. Um, and uh, <laughs> we expected more problems. We were done in an hour. Uh, you, wow. You the tool up. Yeah, we, I wrote the code real quick. Um, we ran it. We pulled the tool out. We inspected it under a microscope, pulled the barrel out, did some measurements on it. Uh, adjusted some of the feeds and determined that, I mean, we nailed it the first time. And when I say we, the tool rep, I mean, he knew uh -huh. it's his tool. He designed it. Um, he, he himself personally has been a gunsmith for over 40 years. So he wow. loves, yeah, he loves firearms. He's a long range shooter. He worked for Ruger for a very long time. He knows firearms in and out. And now he works for a tool rep selling uh, drills and end mills and all kinds of specialty tools, any kind of machine tool you want, they sell it. And this was his pet project. He created this out of uh, just personal interest. And when I went to go buy this machine, uh, the machine dealer was in contact with him because they were using, he was using the machine dealer to test his his tooling. And they said, oh, by the way, we have somebody who might be of interest to you. So once I bought the machine, they gave up their secret, right? Which was uh, the gentleman who was making this tool. And it was so funny because Lionheart was already doing this using a, a, a quite a bit different tool, much lower end tool. But getting a good result, it just took a lot, a lot more time. Our old tool would take a lot more time, and uh, it was more costly. But just like any evolution, you reduce the time, you reduce the cost, and here we are. So this, um, in my opinion, and in the tool rest opinion, will change the industry. It really will. It will make um, the barrels less expensive to manufacture, and it'll it'll be easier to make uh, shorter runs. So if you want to make you know, we're not an aftermarket barrel company, but if there's a company out there and there's lots of them that make aftermarket barrels, you know, if you want to switch from a Glock barrel to a Sig barrel to a Smith & Wesson barrel, I mean, it's easy. Longer barrel, threaded barrel, whatever the, the case may be, right? Yeah. I think what, what, what we need to hone in on is that what this allows us to do is offer the, that heirloom quality pistol at a price that people can afford. Mm -hmm. So it's, bring, it's bringing, that, bringing us back down to, you know, to be able to compete with, uh, other companies that are making pistols that are that are probably going to cost more than ours, um, and we can hold hold the price line and give guys every bit of the performance they need. And, and the thing you got to realize is that even before we came up with this innovation, uh, the Lionheart that Regulus pistol shoots so freaking accurately; it locks up extremely tight. Um, I was on the range the other day doing some testing, and you know the groups that. I was getting, uh, I'm, you know, I got bored shooting groups and was just shooting fragments. <laughs> right. I got and shooting fragments of uh, clay pigeons that were around, and I was shooting the same fragments of the clay pigeon until there was nothing, nothing left of the pigeon. And this was probably at about twelve yards. Um, so the gun is, especially the full size gun, is so much fun to shoot. Uh, it it's super accurate, um, and you know we just need to make sure that people understand. That when we talk about heirloom quality, uh, you know that we're not sacrificing performance. These aren't jewel. It's not. This is not gun jewelry, uh, and uh, everything that goes into these guns and every every bit that Rob is getting geeked out about, you know, makes these guns higher performance and more affordable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to jump in because something when I was there 
uh, Rob, with the uh, with the tour you were showing me that a lot of people don't don't realize. I've machined the stuff. I, I don't have your expertise, admittedly, nowhere close. But um, I've mach- had to machine tools and fixtures to make tools and fixtures, and that's one thing that you were showing me that. And I think you alluded to it earlier when you were talking about being able to machine the receivers, how you guys had to kind of make fixtures and prep stuff to be able to hold those, to be able to even start the process. Right. Oh yeah. There's lots of prep work. It's <laughs> and a lot of people don't realize the prep work alone that goes in. You, it's it, you don't just throw oh, yeah. a chunk of metal in there and a gun pops out. It doesn't work like that. Some parts you can do that, uh, you know, that, I mean, even then it's still more complicated, but with a firearm, there's, there's just, you're removing so much metal and it's such a weird ass shape to hold on to. Their fixturing is all customized. Um, I mean, there's companies out there. I don't remember who the company was when I was looking at machines. I saw some really expensive fixturing for a big manufacturer. It could have been like Smith and Wesson, but they had this giant tombstone. It's just this big square block of steel. And it had all these spots for slides on it. And then they, they would grip the slide on the inside, on the rail. you put the slide on and it would, it would expand. It's all hydraulically controlled. And I don't know how many stations there were on it. There were four faces and every face may have had four stations or six Whoa. stations on it. That fixture probably cost $50,000, $60,000. And it's only one operation of a manufacturing process for that, right. <laughs> that firearm. So right. we're not, um, that's really, really high production. Uh, low cost, high production, and we're—I like to say—we're medium cost, uh, medium volume. So we we don't aspire to be uh, the Glocks of the world. Uh, you probably won't ever see a polymer frame from us. Maybe I mean I don't want to say never say never, but <laughs> right, right. What we want to be is we want to be that segment that's missing, right? That space between a Sig, which I personally think is a great firearm, and um, like a Wilson Combat or a Nighthawk Custom or a Dan Wesson, right? Ed Brown. So like, there's the really high end guys that make beautiful, beautiful pieces that you probably won't shoot because it's too beautiful. And then there's your functional high end functional firearm, which is a Sig. We want to be in there somewhere, right? We want to be in there, um, in that fifteen hundred dollar, less than two thousand, more than a thousand dollar range. Um, where you're getting an, just an exceptional value. You're getting essentially a $3,000 firearm uh, for less than two grand because we have very expensive, very cutting edge machinery that actually reduces the cost of, of manufacture. Right. Uh, I want to go to you, Rob C for just a minute while, sure. while we've heard a lot from the, uh, from the engineer, the machinist down there, <laughs> but your side of things with, you know, wrapping up, getting production going, trying to move, line hard and the regulus forward. Some, what are some of the things that you've been trying to push out and deal with and, and work on, on your side of things? Oh, wow. Well, you know, my biggest push right now is to try to make sure that we, you know, that people understand the brand and what we're going for. Um, and so doing things like this, uh, podcast, um, talking to writers and things like that are, are, are a major part of what I'm doing lately. Um, but, you know, leading up to this, it was, you know, Rob and I would have constant conversations about where we want, you know, what, what the pistol needed, uh, looking at, at, at numbers uh, and looking at features and things, you know, to make sure that, that you know, wanted to make sure that, that I guess, having the, the background of, of being a gun guy um, and being a professional gun guy and looking at, at, 
at other up other people's products for a living sort of gave me the idea that we need to you know create it, it really honed in the idea of what we needed to create and, and there are things in there like you know the sights everything on this pistol has to be uh, there's, there's no throw, there's no Glock sights on this pistol, you know, even <laughs> right. our, it doesn't, it doesn't, you're saying it doesn't take Glock mags. <laughs> I'm saying it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the fact that, you know, I wanted to make sure that every part on this, every part, every component on this pistol was something that you, that needed to be there and that you wanted it to be there, that the end, mm -hmm. that, that the gun, the shooter wanted to be there and wanted to use. And that was, you know, making sure that we had, uh, at the time, you know, do we have, uh, do we have adjustable sights on the gun? Well, why not? Uh, and you know, we wanted to make sure we would have conversations and some, some people might call them arguments about, you know, how much we want to put into the pistol and, and at the bottom line and how much we're going to eat to make things right. And so another part of my job is, is dealing, you know, is, is doing customer service and helping making sure that, that, that when people call, so yeah, I guess people should know this when they call in, to the company, they're calling me. They're not calling some, you know, a, a QC right. guy or a a, a, a customer like, service rep or something. Right. Um, I I get feedback directly from every customer, and every every question goes right right to me. Um, and I, I take everyone, you know, very seriously. And, and I think I've treated everybody as if they were just a guy like me that we're trying to figure out: Do I want to spend a thousand bucks on this pistol? And that that's my biggest challenge is making sure that everything that we put out. Uh, serves, you know, serves a purpose and, and makes, you know, I, I, I cannot tell you how many times that I saw it's too expensive. You know, when I wrote about it, when I wrote about a pistol for recoil, when I wrote, when I, when I still write for, you know, I still write, um, uh, I, I still read our comments and, and, and in social media, it's too expensive. It's too expensive. You know, I want people to look at our pistol and be like, well, that's worth it. You know, like there's nothing that it's 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 a difficult thing to argue with somebody who can't afford your, your product. And mm -hmm. and I wish everybody could afford our product. But when somebody right. says it's too expensive, that that doesn't tell me that it's it's not price right, because I have I have fought tooth and nail to make sure that this this pistol is affordable. And and for every part that goes into it uh, and every every function that it, that it serves, it's priced appropriately. And we can't. You know, and we've honestly, if you look at our combat model uh, that comes with the threaded sights, uh, the, with the threaded barrel and and the suppressor height sights and, and the Cerakote finish, you know that was that was like that is a kick-ass value, um, right. because I mean, even putting those, that's a three hundred fifty dollar barrel that we put in that gun, and we're only selling it for another hundred bucks, I think. Mm -hmm. or, yeah. So, um, you know, and like I I want to get these guns out into people's hands. Um. And so, yeah, I guess that's, yeah. that's my biggest challenge. Well, and you're going to get that. I mean, you're going to have people that, well, I can't afford a Glock, so I'll buy a Taurus. I can't afford a Taurus, so I'll buy a High Point, right? It's like, you, <laughs> you've, unfortunately, you've got to, you've got to deal with that. I mean, that's just part of it. And you're absolutely right. It's too expensive. Doesn't mean it's, it's trash or garbage or that, you know, there's not a market. Um, well, and there's a difference between too expensive and overpriced, and I, and I don't correct. think our pistols are either of those things. Correct. Um, yeah, this pistol originally was sold for eighteen hundred, uh, and and everybody on the new team agreed that was that was too expensive for for the pistol, what it had offered, the features, benefits, and, and the the state of the art. Meaning, uh, we didn't have an optic cut, but um, Rob and I had 
great discussions like he said about price and of course he thought it should be lower and i said well i don't know if i can make it that that inexpensive but at the end of the day um this is not your first and unless you have some money this is not your first pistol a lot of people will go out and buy a glock because it's the name it's the household name it's like a maytag washer and there's nothing wrong with that nothing at all we, we don't necessarily we'd love to be your first pistol but we don't expect to be your first pistol right once once you shoot that glock and you and you're you're a Second Amendment, firearms aficionado, or, and you want more than one pistol, right? You're not just using it right. for uh, personal defense, or, or maybe you want one in every vehicle, whatever the case may be. We want you to think about us. And and then in that case, um, you might say it's too expensive, but if it's not your first firearm, what I would say is instead of buying three different Glocks or, or all these other, just just buy one just buy one Lionheart because you'll, <laughs> right. you'll, you'll be more satisfied. You could buy 30 right. Glocks and you're not going to be satisfied. They're all plastic. They all are boring looking. They shoot great, don't get me wrong, but there's just nothing special about them. Whereas our guns shoot as well or better, and there's something sexy to look at, right? Like, do you yeah. want to drive a Corvette or do you want to drive a Honda Civic? Well, Honda Civic still gets you to work, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to be the Honda yeah. Civic. There's nothing wrong with them. And, and now to modern day Honda Civics are phenomenal. We want to be that Corvette where you get in the car, you enjoy driving the car, you get out of the car, you walk. 15 yards, you turn around, you look at it, and then you turn back around and you keep walking, right? I mean, it's, you're just proud. Right. You, you worked really hard. You earned the money. You bought the car. You're proud of it. It's, it's no different with us. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But I think the, I mean, I'm biased, of course, but you're not going to find another pistol that even comes close for a thousand bucks. And when uh, the people who think it's too expensive are the ones who have not touched it, there was not one comment. Along those lines, at, at Shot Show, everybody who stopped by, who put their hands on this pistol, said, "Why the hell have I not heard of you guys? Exactly. Why have I not heard of you guys before? Where have you been? Where did you come from? Where's this pistol? Like, I don't, I don't. They were so confused. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of amusing. Yeah, it started with me prior to Shot Show. I got the email uh, release or whatever, the newsletter or the press release, and I was yeah. like, "Well, hang on a minute. What? What? Oh, hold on a minute. It's like, what is? I've never seen this before. What's going on?" And so it's like, I got to stop and take a look and uh, see it's believing. So uh, definitely we've got uh, the honest truth out there. He says, quality looks amazing for sure. He says, honestly, a Lionheart is probably the pistol I'd want to go to combat with. Oh, um, and then Bob out there has a question. I don't know if we can address this uh, dealing with the LX9. It says, what gunsmithing needs to be done on the barrel to fit uh, LH9? So I saw that and uh, it's kind of a, that's, there's not an easy answer to that, but right. I'll give you an answer because I think it's interesting. So uh, remember when I said the LH9s were made, they're made in South Korea mm-hmm. and the Regulus is a reverse engineered LH9 that's been improved. Well, it kind of comes back to that tolerance talk we had earlier where we don't know what, what tolerances <laughs> right. those LH9s were made to, Right. right. Yeah. So I can tell you a regular barrel. Let's say you have 10, 10 LH9s. I can tell you a regular barrel, which I know was made to to our standards, right, and into a relatively tight tolerance uh, band. And that I'll send you. I'll sell you ten regular barrels, and and there's ten LH9s. Ten of ten may fit, or three of ten may fit, or nine of ten may right. fit. And we don't have an answer because um, so there is a way to quantify this. Is is if I had if Every LH9 that was made or a substantial uh, sample of them uh, we had access to. Remember, that's the old Lionheart that sold most of those. Um, we could measure them and we could create a report that would tell us, hey, uh, 
95% of the LH9 barrels fall within these tolerance ranges. And then we could say that the regular barrel would fit uh, with, with some level of certainty. We, we would have the certainty, but we don't have that certainty. So I can sell you a regular barrel, but I can't guarantee it's going to work. So what we, we've talked about internally, me, Rob, Curtis, and uh, Andy, my armorer, Mm-hmm. have had discussions of do we want to offer LH9 uh, upgrades and and the current the current consensus among the team is that we will we can upgrade your barrel but we want you to ship your gun to us and we will upgrade the barrel we will right. make sure it works we will test fire it and we will send you something clean and ready to go that works and that's the yep. only way we will do it because we just we don't want the risk that I mean god forbid something bad happens but we don't want the risk that you're disappointed right we yep. Absolutely. Yeah. We would rather not sell you anything than disappoint you. Yeah. And I think that's with, and Bob may have came in late. He may not have heard you talking about the crazy tolerance issues that we were talking about earlier. So, um, you know, knowing that the LH9s had those, I don't want to say it's an issue. It's just the way they were manufactured. It's not right? an issue. Yeah. It's, um, it's manufacturing in general. But yeah, so not knowing those tolerances, I guess, are, are the issues. And so not knowing that, yeah, that's the best way. And that's across the board, right? I think that's yeah. just what you're going to deal with. <clears throat> you know, like taking your car to the mechanic, calling your mechanic, right? It's like, hey, mm-hmm. how do I do? He's like, dude, I, I I, don't know. I'm not there. I'm not measuring. I'm not looking at it. But if you'll bring it into the shop, we can take care of it, right? Right, right. Exactly. So we, you know, we... We had, I think, of uh, maybe 200 LH9s, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands that were made and sold by the old entity. There were a few hundred left over that we did sell from the new entity um, because the old entity uh, basically was, they were closed down and the, the acquisition had already been moved to, it had happened and moved to Georgia. So we never really had enough, to, uh, a big enough sample size uh, really to measure. I thought about it'd be kind of cool. Um, to get some here and there as you know, you have customers wanting to, you know, have their pistol serviced um, or warranty issues uh, or whatever the case may be. Every time we get one in and measure it, um, it's something I'd like to do down the road, but right now it's, it's just, uh, we don't have the time. I don't have the time to focus on that right now. We've got to focus on getting the manufacturing up and running, mm-hmm. but we will and- fit. We will try to fit. Uh, we will try to fit a regular barrel. And if it doesn't fit, we won't charge you for it. So for, for either one of you talking about being up and running where you want to be, do you have any sort of timeline on that at this point? Uh, well, we were, <laughs> we were hoping, <laughs> hoping to be in production at least uh, first article, which means have the, you know, the first handful of pistols off the machines mm-hmm. um, for the NRA annual meeting. But it, there's, there's a lot of work. and uh, Right. You know, uh, just well, you never know. You never know what comes up, right? You never know yeah, when you're absolutely. taking them off the machine and other things. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, it's me doing a lot of the programming. So I love being on the machines. As you can tell, I love the design. I love being on the machines. Um, but I've got two companies to run. So my time is split a hundred ways. And hopefully by summer, we should be having some pistols rolling off that, that yeah. should be a first article. And the okay. interesting thing there is, you know, we've been asked a hundred times, uh, you know, how's the pistol? W- you know, we're, we're taking this opportunity. We're not remaking the Regulus from the ground, you know, and, and we're not, we're not taking the Regulus and remaking it either. We're making a new Regulus then, and, and we're very excited to bring it. It's going to have a lot of features that people have been asking us for. Um, it's, it's going to be, it's not going to be groundbreaking. Um, it's still going to be Regulus, but it's going to have some, 
components, some key components on there that people have been asking for. And we're, we're kicking our asses to get this thing out the door. Right. We were really hoping to get it out by NRA. And, but at the end of the day, we just couldn't do it in a timeline that would allow us to make, you know, the, the best product that we possibly could. Yes, correct. In the time given. Um, and yeah, you, you spoke to that earlier, how, you know, some companies, they just, they crank stuff out. They know it's inferior. They know they got issues, whatever the case may be. They crank it out anyway to meet a deadline. And yeah. And that's a, that's a bad way to do it. It's a really bad way to do it for a small business. Yeah. And, you know, and, and with budgetary constraints. Yeah. Too many companies have come out. They'll tease, they'll tease something, you know, and they'll say, here it is. And then six months later, a year later, two years later, like, where the fuck is it? And you know, <laughs> right. we're not going to do that. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, we've been kicking our asses behind behind the scenes to get this thing out. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's actually going super, super well. Every time Rob shares with me, you know, some drawings or uh, the, the first article tests and, and stuff like this, like the freaking barrel is killer. I mean, I think that's going to be if we can get the barrel knocked out of the park here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, that's going to open the door uh, for the rest of the gun to 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 fall into place very, very quickly, I, I think. Right. I could be wrong, but you know, we should, we should be having some parts, uh, some, some Georgia made guns rolling off, you know, sometime in the summer. And I've been getting lots of feedback on, on colors. Uh, guys want to know when urban's coming back. They want to know when the reveal, which is our, uh, our, uh, what's that color called, Rob? It's midnight bronze. So it's yeah, this one. Bronze. Uh, it's been super, super popular. Uh, I'm getting beat up on, on my, on my emails. Guys want those pistols right now. So, you know, right. to, if you're listening to this, let, you know, we hear you, uh, we're going Keep as fast touch. as we can. Yeah. 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 And, you know, let us know how to get in touch with you. Go to the website, uh, sign up on our email list for a back order notification. And as soon as we get those ready to go, uh, we'll let you know, uh, when those are, when those are back in stock. Right. Um, before we get out of here, uh, Rob, F, is there anything we didn't cover that we probably should before we all we got everybody's attention here? No, I mean, I, I think we, we cover all the stuff without getting too nerd into the manufacturing. I'm I looking at <laughs> uh, just some some high points that we wanted to discuss. We really did. I think we, we jumped around a little bit as the conversation took us through. Um, but, uh, well, there's one. I'm seeing one thing. Um, so just wanted to kind of... Um, let people know the team, you know, so you learn a little bit about Rob Curtis. Uh, he talked talk to us. So he, he's very experienced. Um, and obviously what I bring to the table is my manufacturing background and design um, and, and extremely high standards. Um, <laughs> a little uh, bit. I, uh, yeah. I like firearms. Don't get me wrong, but I am no expert. Well, I don't know how high they could be with, with, with Rob. <laughs> but, but we'll, yeah. I, I am no expert. So Rob Curtis <laughs> is my expert. <laughs> My armor, Andy, uh, is, is also extraordinarily, extraordinarily knowledgeable. Yep. Um, he's just a guy that loves guns, and you can ask him about any gun that was ever made, and he knows it, which is kind of terrifying, but he knows it. So we've got him. Um, uh, so I do engineering, but I'm not a pistol engineer. So um, I have a pistol engineer. He worked for SIG for many years. Um, he also worked for, um, I don't want to give away who he is, but he also worked for a very well-known, very popular company for many, many years and developed uh, an entirely new pla couple platforms. Um, he's uh, my pistol engineer. And then the, we have a uh, industrial designer. So an industrial designer designs the look and feel 
of of a, of a product and how the customer interfaces with it or the user interfaces with it, not how it functions. Um, and so he is also very experienced. He he worked alongside uh, the pistol engineer for for very many years, and he's designed um, the aesthetic of of uh, the Georgia made Regulus. So there are some minor aesthetic changes and you'll see that in the Georgia made Regulus. Uh, because nice. if you're going to make it, if you're going to ramp up manufacturing and you're starting from zero, you might as well make it what you want it to look like. So we've, he's touched it a little bit. Um, and then we have a lot of uh, influencers and industry partners that are um, from, from Exotech because Exotech sells alongside the firearms industry. Most of our customers are, are pretty avid firearms uh, owners, shooters, sure. users. Uh, so we have um, a, a lot of those people, influencers to, to team up with. We haven't done anything with it yet because we want to basically we're kind of in a holding pattern. We want um, we, we really want the Georgia made pistol right before we, sure. yeah. we, we we send everything out and say, hey, check all this stuff out. We want it to be made by our team and we want. Yes. Um, yeah, we want it to be made to our standards by our team. Not to say there's anything wrong with the old ones. It's just. They're phenomenal pistols. It's just my standards are are extraordinarily high, and we want it. The little FFL stamp on the side below the serial number, we wanted to say Winder Georgia on it. And most of the local dealers are just banging down my door asking, hey, when can I get Georgia-made pistols? I had one of our dealers the other day call me up. He says, I've had like 10 people walk by, walk in last month and ask me when I can get a Georgia-made Regulus. Um, so, so, yeah, hopefully, like Rob said, um, the – I'm hoping we'll have we'll, we'll be pretty close around NRA with the new one, but realistically, as far as the consumer is concerned, um, I think we'll have some 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 initial inventory this summer, and right. hopefully, it will be plenty well stocked in time for uh, hunting season. Oh wow, cool! Uh, Rob C, anything from uh, your seat that you think we missed? We need to cover real quick. I can't think of anything. Uh, I, I'm just really happy, uh, you know, that you you wanted to share your audience with us and gave us the opportunity to talk about the plat, you know, talk about the pistol, uh, and you know, keep. Uh, it's very. I think that you know the Second Amendment community is super important um, in supporting you guys and anything that we can do to help you out. Just let us know. Well, I mean, like I said, I've seen it uh, on an email. I was intrigued. I've held it more than one time now, uh, both at shot and then on the factory tour. And then after talking with Rob down there, seeing the machinery, looking again at, at just all the care and the, and the QC and everything else that has went into it. Um, I think you guys are on the right track. I think you're, you're, you're doing well and I think you'll do well in the end, but, uh, people out there ha have to remember though, that we're dealing with a small business made in Georgia, a little town in Georgia. Uh, we're not talking about one of the major players, multi-million dollar, billion dollar companies here. So um takes a little time. And especially when these guys are putting the, the care into it that, uh, that it takes. So uh, Rob, Rob, I want to uh, thank you for uh, joining us. You got something, Rob C. Before we no, I, I was going to say that, you know, a small, you know, Rob called us a media manufacturer and, and what was really funny is uh, I went and saw, um, I guess one of our competitors now uh, is one of the biggest firearms manufacturers. And I, I happened to walk by a billboard and saw their, their manufacturing numbers for the month. <laughs> and uh, it just boggles my mind that a company can put out 30,000 of one pistol in a month. And, you know, like, and, and, 
how is any of that heirloom? I mean, how is any of that? Oh, it's not. It's I mean, not, that, that's right. Talk about Tupperware, man. It's it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. So, uh, guys, thanks for uh, joining us. Everybody out there that joined us live, appreciate it for the comments. The uh, couple of questions we got, those that have listened for an hour and six some odd minutes yeah, thank uh, you. in a podcast, appreciate you guys too. Uh, that's going to do it for this one. Uh, until next time, don't forget to chain fire freedom. <laughs>